Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Thank you for listening to our podcast series. The episode today was a webinar presented originally in March 2015. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast series and see all episodes, go to www.kinexus.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe in a number of ways. You can subscribe through the iTunes store, various Android podcast listening apps, the service Stitcher, which works across a number of platforms. Uh, you can subscribe via the raw RSS feed if you know what RSS feeds are and use those, or you can get e episodes sent to you via email. So either way, we hope this content is useful. And if you have any feedback, please contact me, mark at kinexus.com. Hi, thank you for joining us today. This is Jeff Roussel, Vice President of Sales at Kinexus. I'm joined by Dr. Gregory Jacobson and Mark Graben, and we're really looking forward to today's webinar, which is on the ROI of continuous improvement. So I would like to get started by uh, introducing Greg and Mark. I have the pleasure of working with these two gentlemen every day, and I see the passion that they bring to continuous improvement on a regular basis. Greg, uh, Dr. Greg Jacobson is the CEO and co-founder of Kinexus. Um, Greg is also the person who heads up the development of the Kinexus product, the platform. And he, he also uh, is, an, is an ER doctor. In fact, the, the uh, impetus of Kinexus was born while Greg was a resident at Vanderbilt University and decided there needed to be a way to help people spread continuous improvement and ultimately that led to Kinexus. Mark is the Vice President of Customer Success here at Kinexus. In such, it's his job to make sure that our customers have the most successful experience possible with our platform. Uh, Mark is also a very well-known author of Healthcare Kaizen and of Lean Hospitals, and he writes daily for leanblog.org, and I'm sure many of you guys know Mark in the audience there. So, Greg, Mark, thanks for uh, spending some time with us today. Yeah, sure thing. Really excited to be here. Great. So, so let's start with um, just a really simple concept. We, we do our best here on our webinars to keep the content fresh. And we hear from so many people of the importance on the return of, invest, of their investment around continuous improvement. And so I wanna start just by talking about the definition of ROI. And so Mark, when, when we're talking about the ROI of continuous improvement, what comes to mind for you? Well, you know, ROI has a you know very particular dictionary definition. Return on investment is really a matter of um, you know your your financial benefit that comes above and beyond whatever financial investment that you're making in some sort of improvement. So if we spend a hundred dollars to make some sort of improvement and that gains us one hundred and twenty dollars, that twenty dollars. Uh, is the return on investment. It's often uh, expressed in terms of, of a, a percentage basis. You might say I had a 20% ROI. And there's different ways people look at ROI um, over, over, over time and payback periods and you know, very financial 
driven view of the world is really what is you know technically meant by ROI, but there's you know there's more to it than that. It's funny, I whenever I'm thinking about continuous improvement, I'm always thinking how can we spread continuous improvement more? And one of the key things that we've learned over the last decade is to keep it simple. So I like to think of ROI in a really simple way. What's the benefit? And if you get into too many definitions, it becomes about the definitions of ROI versus simply thinking, what's the benefit of doing continuous improvement? Let's focus on that benefit. And when you can communicate that benefit in a simple, articulate, and consistent way to everybody, you find that continuous improvement spreads. Interesting. Yeah, and then I'll chime in a, a little bit here. You know, I work in a sales capacity, and so I find myself in ROI conversations all the time. I think, one, it's extremely important to understand the ROI in order to be able to communicate that to leadership, which helps them to commit to continuous improvement. But I will caution people that ROI is not always a dollars and cents answer. Uh, in some in some cases, the answer is better expressed in terms of time. Hmm. So in other words, you know, instead of saying, well, the ROI on, on this continuous improvement effort is $100,000, it might be that the ROI is three months because it only takes you three months in order to recruit, recoup the investment in time and effort that well, you're, you're putting into it. Well, and that would be an example of what people often refer, refer to as a, pay, a payback period. Payback period. Yeah, great point. So so I would just kind of I would challenge people that, you know, don't always think of it in terms of dollar and cents. You know, you may be better thinking of it in terms of time. Well, and I think, you know, there's as we're going to talk about a whole range of benefits that, you know, return on investment really, again, means the dollars. But I think a lot of times um, focusing too much on ROI holds organizations back if they um, insist on there being a particular ROI for any sort of project or any sort of improvement, we lose huge opportunities. It's harder to figure out what's the cost of not doing that yeah. improvement. What's the cost of not engaging people in lots of small continuous improvements? Yeah, great. So, so here at Kinexus, one of our jobs is to help our customers express the ROI of their continuous improvement efforts and so we are we are constantly trying to figure out how can we make that consistent and how can we make that simple enough for our customers to be able to communicate in their organizations the ROI of their continuous improvement efforts we think the way we think about that challenge is primarily across six buckets if you will and I show them on the screen here Today's webinar, we're going to go through these six buckets in detail, and I'm going to ask Greg and Mark to add color, to add their thoughts around these six buckets in the hopes that it'll teach you guys um, a way to think through ROI within your organizations. And so, so let's go through that, and let's start with the top one on the list, hard cost savings. And so when we see the question, what are the hard cost savings of continuous improvement? Mark, let's start with you. What what comes to mind? Well, you know, for, you know, hard cost savings really is anything that goes to the financial statements, the budgets, the bottom line. So if we are um, paying for overtime 
and we managed to, through process improvement, reduce the amount of overtime that's uh, required to get the job done. If we're, if we're actually spending less on overtime, spending less on payroll and labor, that would be an example of a hard cost savings. You know, if we, if we find that there's a better version of um, some particular supply that's actually less expensive to use, um, spending less on that supply or wasting fewer of some supply. Those would be examples of hard savings because those are, you know, actual dollars that are no longer being spent. Okay, Greg, what, what about you? What, what, what are your thoughts on hard cost savings of continuous improvement? So I talked about simplicity. I talked about allowing everyone to participate, right? That's the goal. Everyone in an organization participating in continuous improvement every day. So you know, my take on this is make the calculation and the documentation of hard cost savings really simple. Allow everyone to participate in that. So let's take a look at the numbers, all right? So what we're showing you here is that in the Kinexus system, when we aggregate all of our customers, they've completed 826 improvements that they've identified as having a direct hard cost savings that's totaled about 25 million dollars in what i think is 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 by being able to simply articulate a very simple number to everyone in the organization this is how many improvements we've made and this is the translation of that to the organization you're going to have a higher success rate that, that habit loop is being formed where people start getting more and more excited about spreading continuous improvement. Yeah, one, one thing I'd like to add, you know, when you look at the numbers here, um, that 25 million, that's about $30,000 for each of those 826 improvements that our Kinexus customers have, have documented and added up. Now you'd say, well, that, that's a really high average, but a thing I see in a lot of different organizations is that if something saves a small amount of money, $20 or, you know, you may recognize that it's, you know, in the bucket of cost savings, but it's just not worth spending hours and hours um, figuring out really precisely, are we saving $17.43 or are we saving $19.18? So in a lot of organizations, you tend to see people say, well, unless you think it's saving more than $1,000, it's not even worth really putting time into trying to calculate. It's just a good improvement that keeps the ball rolling, keeps people participating, and then eventually leads maybe to something that is a big idea. And you know, it reminds me of a time, you know, when I was in Japan um, for the first time a couple years ago. One of the Japanese hospital CEOs was talking about the connections between innovation and improvement, the, the connections between big impact ideas and, and he said look you know nobody you know it sounds easy to think you, you can go out and find an idea with a big huge impact he said the best way to find a big idea is to go looking for lots and lots of little ideas yeah. and implementing lots and lots of little ideas um, so i'm sure that number of the number of improvements that affect cost is higher than that 826 but the ones that it was worth someone to actually go and kind of tabulate and add up might have been 826 because they're um, kind of by nature the ones that had a bigger impact. Interesting. So I think a good rule of thumb to kind of summarize what Mark is saying is, is take a look at what is the expected cost savings to the organization. And if that number is really high, then, you know, let's say your threshold is $1,000. Certainly if you say your 
going to say 50 or 100 or more, I think then that's where the increase in effort should come in validating those numbers. And my recommendation is, is that's when you get the finance team involved, right? Don't let it be a burden for the frontline person. Let them go do more improvement. Include them in the process of the validation. Don't rob them of the, you know, the ability to learn from how a finance person thinks through it. But this is a great place for the finance department to get involved so they can believe those numbers as well. And it just increases the, you know, the, the value of the data that is coming out of the organization. So the more cost savings you think an improvement has to the bottom line, the more you should spend time on figuring out what that exact amount is. And more likely the finance department wanting to actually get involved to validate. A lot of finance departments, again, will say, look, don't come to us to validate anything unless it's you're claiming above X thousands of dollars of savings. They, it's not worth their time either to validate $47 versus 106 or something, right? So that gets back to the to why we have in Kinexus built in those threshold notifications for a finance department. A finance department can customize that level in, in the system and they can be notified when improvements are said to cross that threshold so they can get part, they can become a part of validating that impact number that they're coming with. Interesting. So love to show the, talk about the data though that, that Mark mentioned. Mark mentioned, you know, how do you get I mean, if you just do a quick calculation, you're at almost 30000 an idea. How do you get $30,000 ideas? Well, it's not intuitive, and this is something that I think is, is really articulated by the data that we have in the system. It actually, the easiest way to get $30,000 ideas is actually to look for $10 ideas, if you will. So if you ask people to go, you know, just get a base hit, get on base, what ends up happening is about 1.4% of those ideas are home runs, right? They end up becoming, they, they snowball, and because what they didn't realize is, is that idea can be spread to multiple organizations. So sure, it saves your department $5,000, but you have 250 departments in the organization, all of a sudden, a tiny change in one area can have huge impact. What I think is really cool is if you, get, if you dig even further into this, we have data that shows about 2.5% of ideas are worth more than $10,000. So it's, it's a little unintuitive, if you will, but what the way you get to that number is really having people focus on small, low-cost, low-risk ideas. And I think if you go and ask people to come up with um, you know, a big home-run million-dollar idea, um, their, their brains kind of seize up. That's intimidating. I've seen the look on people's faces when you can tell – like if they if if they misunderstand what Kaizen is all about, they're used to organizations asking them for huge million dollar ideas. They put pressure on themselves, and you know it's really hard to come up with a million dollar idea. So it's better to um, to go find um, other ideas, small ideas, go implement all of those, and occasionally you're going to stumble into something, and that takes the pressure off people. And I think it's it's kind of counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. You can get better cost savings by not constantly talking about cost savings. Mm -hmm. Get lots and lots of improvement and discover the ones that have big cost savings as opposed to, um, you know, you kind of stumble across them as opposed to going out hunting only for, for the quote unquote big game. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I coach my son's little league team and uh, I can't imagine if all we did was ask them to try to hit home runs. <laughs> right, right. Uh, just, you know, we, we never have anyone on base and we probably score a whole lot fewer runs. Um, so let Let's stay on, on kind of the hard savings for just a second. Um, 
Greg, you're in the data a lot. Well, give give everyone kind of an example. Do you have some sure. favorite OIs of kind of that led to that hard savings? I always kind of have a favorite OI of the moment, if you will. <laughs> it always just seems to be the last one that someone told me that was like, well, that was really crappy. So great, great example of what happens when you empower a frontline worker to think about how to improve the organization. So this person became empowered because the organization committed to spreading continuous improvement, went ahead and asked people, hey, we want your contributions on how we can make things better. And the, the is a, I love healthcare examples. I'm a doctor. You know, we have tons of examples in non-healthcare, but I'll give you a healthcare example. They were, they were in, in healthcare when a person's in the hospital, in order to decrease blood clots in their legs, we use these, these compression devices. Right. And the, the nurse realized that every time that the compression device was put on the patient, they were removing the thigh component of that compression device. And they did it because, you know, it's really uncomfortable for the patient. It's hard to put on. And the doctors and the data, the medical data behind it, that shows it doesn't really matter where you do the compression. It's actually just the act of compressing that um, decreases the blood clot. And so, they ended up doing a root cause analysis on why that happened. It ended up just being a simple order form miscommunication slash error. That one observation saved that one hospital about $65,000. And that is currently being spread to the other hospitals in that organization. So just great example of tiny little observations that can be made that all of a sudden have huge impact. Yeah, great. What about non-healthcare? Yeah, that's a great healthcare example. What about non-healthcare? Well, I think you know, anytime you look for operate, you look for waste in a process. Looking for waste is different than looking for cost, because waste you see through observing the work, where a cost is often um, just a matter of looking at spreadsheets or financial reports. When you go and observe the work, when you see uh, that somebody is struggling with uh, a certain tool on the assembly line, and that's leading uh, to scratches or scrap or defects. You know, those defects show as a cost on the bottom line, but to look at the process and see that there's a problem with the tooling, that the work is too difficult, that's, that's maybe easier to see or to get somebody to report. Instead of just dealing with it, you're creating that environment where they speak up and say, this work is too hard, it's too difficult, um, that's going to lead to quality improvement. If we're scrapping less parts, spending less time on rework, that's a classic cost savings in manufacturing that comes from quality improvement, making the work better. Yeah, and, and to kind of to, to dovetail off of that and to ask, is there a non-healthcare example? I think the, the non-healthcare example that kind of also relates a little bit to what Mark was talking about that's in my brain and fresh is one of our customers um, realized that their drivers didn't know which gas stations they had negotiated discounts on with gas. And so it ended up being a simple observation that once someone made that observation, hey, as a driver, I don't, I don't know where we have the deals at. There was a, a process that was developed in a communication that went out to the drivers that identified the gas stations that the company wanted them to fill up at. That one change related to a direct bottom line of $100,000 a month because someone made the observation that we could tighten up our process on which gas station to go to. Wow, that's great.
And, and hearing that just reminds me of other situations where you have uh, multiple sites within a health system, multiple factories within a large company, distributed workforces. There's usually somebody that knows the better way of doing things. And either leaders don't encourage people to share those better practices. I hate to even say best practice, but better practice. Mm -hmm. um, they, they don't communicate and voluntarily share those with others or people aren't willing to learn that better way from somebody else. You know, that this is, a lot of this comes back to the leadership component. And I think there's the, the question of how do we share and spread good ideas? Greg and I are gonna talk about this in our next webinar, how do you spread improvement, but um, I think that's a great way of multiplying the cost savings. When I make an improvement, I share that with my coworkers. I make that the new standard process mm -hmm. instead of me just being an outlier. Great, really good. Okay, so let, let's kind of take the next step. So instead of thinking about this in a hard dollars and cents standpoint, let's look at the next bucket, which is the soft savings of continuous improvement. And so, Mark, explain that. What is the yeah. soft savings? So, I mean, in financial terms, you know, soft savings, um, again, usually refers to dollars. Um, so we have hard savings, soft savings. I've heard some people, uh, I read somebody, a friend of mine sent an IHI, Institute for Healthcare Improvement, white paper that talked about dark green dollars and light green dollars. Um, the soft savings or the light green dollars are usually the ones that finance will uh, kind of frown at and say, well, that's not real savings. So uh, time savings for staff. You know, saving time for staff may lead to reduced overtime, which again would be a hard savings. But if I'm, if I'm freeing up, let's say in a hospital setting, uh, an hour a day of each nurse's time, I'm redeploying that time, which may lead to better quality, better patient safety, better patient satisfaction. That may now start flowing through to something that would be a hard savings but it becomes really hard to connect those dots. And especially hard to say that particular improvement freed up this amount of time, which led eventually to this much hard savings. At some point it's either hard to calculate or it's just not really worth trying to calculate. Um, so you, you take those benefits and at some point you're looking to the bottom line for that accumulation of different benefits as hard savings. And final point for I, I think when we hear from Greg, and the thing you really have to be careful about is the, the funny money that happens sometimes with projects, either in the lean world or in the Six Sigma world, where every single project claims $500,000 cost savings, million dollar cost savings. And then after a year of these projects, the company is no more profitable than it was a year before. It's where people start saying, oh, you've lost all credibility because you've been claiming these savings. Uh, somehow you calculated in a spreadsheet, but it's not real. It's not really impacting the long-term financial good of the organization. Um, so I think you know, that's where we have to be careful of, of not claiming soft savings as hard savings. Um, you, you're, you're gonna have finance roll, at best, roll their eyes at you. Greg, what do the numbers tell us? So across all of our customers, there have been 1,495 improvements that have been identified as saving soft savings. And when we talk about soft savings, once again, we're trying to simplify it, right? So just the simple question, did you save someone's time in a process? And we allow a person to measure or to input whose time was saved and how much of that time was saved. 
And on the back end, if our customers choose, they can actually put a dollar value amount on those people's time. So what we what we find is, is from those just shy of 1,500 improvements, we have just over 400,000 hours of time saved at an organization, okay? So what does that mean from an impact level? And this is what I mean by we need to have a very clear and concise way that we are articulating the impact to the senior leaders into the C-level to make sure we're validating why we're going through the effort of doing continuous improvement. And in the customers that chose, now we have some customers that choose not to put a dollar amount on that. So this is probably an underestimation, but for the customers that have chosen to try to translate that kind of time into a possible monetary impact, we're looking at about $11.8 million of time savings to an organization. And, and let me just give you an example. And I know I use the ER examples. I'm an ER doc. But, you know, what one of those 14, 000, uh, 1,400 improvements was, was this. And it's one, it's one of the first improvements that came through Kinexus. And it was a, a, a junior doctor who made the observation, you know, when a patient has an eye complaint, the one thing that a doctor is always going to ask for is how did they do when they read the eye chart? What was their visual acuity? So... Is there a way we can just build in the process when the patient's walking from the triage desk to their room to stop by the eye chart, do a quick visual acuity, document that on the chart, and so now when the doctor goes to see the patient, they don't have to put the order in, walk out, find a tech to get someone to do that order, to get the visual acuity done, to put it back in for then the doctor to come. That one tiny little change resulted and can result in huge time savings, not only to the tech, not only to the doctor, but also to the patient, which in this case is the customer. Right, and, and, and there's a lot of benefits there that Greg describes um, that time savings, though for staff, and I'll, I'll put my finance hat on again and say, unless it flows through to um, being able to reduce overtime, reduce spending, and I mean reduce labor spending in a good way, not laying off staff, that, that creates so many uh, different problems, or saving uh, saving patient time might be uh, good for patient satisfaction, but unless we're able to, let's say, compress uh, appointments to see more patients per hour, it's not a hard benefit. Maybe I'm, I'm foreshadowing the, the revenue discussion. So, Mark, you, you tend to deal with this probably more than anyone that I know. How would you coach the audience to ask questions to get this kind of soft savings? Like, how do you get people thinking along the lines of identifying these soft savings? Well, I, I think people very naturally think about the soft savings. It's often more difficult to try to point them back into uh, hard savings that finance would actually believe or validate. Yeah, and, and I, the only thing I would add on this is that's been my experience that Mark mentioned. You know, there there is a, a term called a non-value added step. And if you kind of look into the lean discipline, right, in, in a non-value added step is, are you doing something that actually doesn't benefit the customer in a direct way? And if that is the case, hey, something wasn't supplied correctly. Now you've got to do a workaround and run off and, and go find that supply. Or, you know, an order wasn't put in the right way. And so a second order needs to, to happen. I think that people naturally, and this is, I'm going to use this in a really good way. I think people are naturally lazy. They want the most direct route from point A to point B. 
and you know it's a fine line between laziness and efficiency sometimes right. when i say laziness is without a purpose so okay. if i find a better way a faster way of doing something that's easier and i can rededicate that time to adding value that's not lazy at all that's efficient but you know i think when you have engaged employees they want to do more of the right things absolutely i think there's a tweet in there somewhere yeah. <laughs> okay so we talked a little about the bottom line Let's talk a little bit about how the top line fits into continuous improvement. So, Greg, let's start with a story, right? You tell us your favorite kind of RO, you know, ROI on the revenue side of it. So my favorite story, and, and I, I love telling this, was about a, a nurse who made an observation. And I don't even know if he thought this observation was a revenue an increased revenue observation. I, I really think he was thinking about it on a patient satisfaction level. But what he realized was we have patients who are getting prescriptions from our physicians in a subspecialty clinic. And instead of handing that prescription to the patient, why don't we call it in and make it available at our hospital pharmacy for them? That one that one observation, so the process became instead of handing the patient the, the prescription, so then they now have to go to the pharmacy and fill out the, the prescription and go through that whole, what I would call non-value-added step, ended up generating from that one clinic over $200,000 of increased of, um, prescriptions being filled at the pharmacy because some specialty clinics you know, sometimes have some very expensive um, medications that need to be filled. They then spread that idea out to all of their subspecialty. Notice we're talking about spread again, right? They spread that idea out to all of their subspecialty clinics. They estimated it um, increasing a revenue at the pharmacy um, by over $2 million. Oh, wow. And I'd say in a lot of cases, we're not directly asking staff to increase revenue. If we help them come up with ideas that better take care of patients, uh, free up time, that allows us to do more with the same staffing levels, which is a very common lean story. It's different than do more with less. Of course, people get scared about hearing with less. People are gonna lose their jobs and we wanna avoid that because people stop participating in improvement. Um, we can find so many other ways of reducing costs. If we get um, people engaged in doing the right things, we'll stumble into revenue opportunities. If we reduce the time it takes for a patient to get through the emergency department. We increase capacity. We don't have as many patients leaving. We don't have to tell ambulances to stay away because we're on diversion. That can increase revenue, not just for the ED, but for the entirety of the system. Great. So, Greg, let's look at the numbers. I know you wanted to talk about these. So, in, in the Kinexus system, right now, in completed opportunities, we have a completed improvements. We have 254 that have been identified as increasing revenue. That has been estimated to bring just shy of $19 million to the top line at organizations. And so if we think about, if we think about kind of percentages and we, and we think about what, what Mark is talking about, we have eight, just, just over 8,000 opportunities that have been completed in the system. We told you about 800 of them were cost savings. So that's a one in 10 number. What's interesting is, is that one in 10 number has been consistent for almost 24 months now that we've been um, capturing data. 
right? So this is, we're, we're really starting to get in some what of the, what are the fundamental characteristics of what a continuous improvement culture looks like? Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that's an interesting one in 10. Now you're gonna see here that about one in 30 are gonna cause revenue increases at an organization, okay? Having these kind of easy to access ratios and numbers when you're articulating to your senior leaders why they need to allow their organization to be unleashed in a continuous improvement journey. Those are the kinds of really influential kind of stories to be able to tell them. But we, we spent a lot of time on the, on the finance part of this. And, and if you listen to my definition at the beginning, I defined ROI as benefit. So I just don't think we can have a conversation about ROI without at least acknowledging that there are other benefits mm -hmm. to continuous improvement. So um, I know you've got a series of questions on that. Yeah, let, let's let's do that. So, Mark, let's let's start with you. I've heard yeah. you say yeah. that that saving people's lives is one of the reasons that you got into lean healthcare. Right. I'm sure that applies to really any industry that we work in. But right. talk to me about. It's safety ROI in continuous improvement. Yeah, and you know, some people. I mean, you know, that a lot of this becomes just a, a sense of uh, mission and purpose. It's the right thing to do. Um, you know, Paul O'Neill, who had been the CEO at Alcoa and was involved in Pittsburgh Regional Health Initiative, makes you know a very compelling case. I, I agree with. He says, you know, safety. That's a moral issue, and um, we, it's just you know it's something you have to do. Nobody should get hurt coming to work. That's something Care Health System in Wisconsin has uh, had their leaders talk about a lot. Nobody should nobody uh, should get hurt. We need a safer workplace. And then there's the patient safety piece of um, far too many people being harmed or, or dying as the result of preventable medical errors. So there's some who say, well, uh, let's not even talk about the money. That cheapens the moral and the ethical argument for, for safety. But, you know, thankfully, I think this is one of those cases where by doing the right things for the right reasons, we also get cost savings. Um, so it, it flows through as being the end result of improving safety, um, as opposed to being the reason why we do safety, if that distinction makes sense. I think that's great. I'm gonna talk about Alcoa again, kind of towards the end here, but can we look at the numbers, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. Or just get right into this. So if we had to articulate a direct kind of line item benefit for safety, um, this is how we would do it. Now, about 700, I'm sorry, 871 improvements have been completed in Kinexus that people have identified as safety. So we're at that one to 10 number again, right? So it's very easy to kind of articulate that to someone when you're describing it. And we know that safety directly relates to all four of the, the topics we have on our, on our right side. I mean, whether it's kind of liability insurance, whether it's reimbursement rates, um, in a healthcare organization or um, lost work days in any kind of organization. And let's be honest, I mean, really, when we're talking about a topic that every single person in an organization can get around and a topic when the frontline workers don't feel are being addressed, I mean, this is a huge employee morale um, topic that it's easy. And, and, and I mean, I can talk about it now. I mean, to me, that's, that was what the brilliance of um, the Alcoa story is, is he went into an organization that was kind of lost in finding their way. And he, you know, polarized the whole organization to think about one topic. And all of a sudden, 
you had a really engaged leadership, you had an engaged workforce, they're working on the same side, and it it trickled down into all sorts of things in the organization. And in healthcare, it's it's so much easier um, to engage people and looking for opportunities to improve staff safety or patient safety. That's something people get very motivated about in a way that goes far beyond asking them to find ways to save money. If asked me, hey, let's go save money, they're probably not going to think, well, if I improve safety and then that flows through to, no, no, just go for the, 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 the primary motivation of a safer workplace. And you guys, know, reimbursement um, uh, is changing in healthcare. If we can uh, prevent harm to a patient, um, that, that helps the hospital's bottom line, thankfully. It was already the right thing to do, but there's more financial drivers mm -hmm. that reward the hospital for safety. Um, Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle has um, um, their, their medical uh, malpractice insurance rates have dropped dramatically um, as a result of them improving patient safety. So uh, it's win-win it's or it's win-win-win. Uh, as opposed to, I think the old view would look at trade-offs and say, well, if I'm going to spend the money on this device that's going to save uh, an employee from injury, and I'm like, well, that, that's the wrong way to look at it. There's that moral case that says we should spend the money, help protect the employee. If we have to, we'll find other ways to save cost and good ways to counteract what we had to spend to improve safety. And, and I, I just, could you give a shout out to our friends of the BATS organization? We're talking about safety, and I think it's important just yeah, the uh, Louise Batts Patient Safety Foundation that's based here in Texas is doing a lot of great work. They have hospitals and, and patients and families collaborate in the name of reducing harm. And, and that uh, obviously is good for the patients. There's the human component, and it's also um, helping financially, um, helping these organizations. So on, on our partners page on our website, you'll see a link to, to how to get to their website and what they're doing. Please check it out. Great. Okay, so we talked about safety being a part of employee morale, but there's more to employee morale, there's more to customer morale than, than that. So let's talk a little bit about what satisfaction means. Should satisfaction be a part of the ROI equation in continuous well, improvement? I, mean, I think it's another one of those categories where it flows through to the bottom line. Um, happier customers in any industry are more likely to return to your business. So that helps uh, on the revenue side and profitability. Um, employee engagement and satisfaction has a lot of um, direct benefits uh, as well as, as indirect benefits. So it's not happiness for happiness sake, but it's, I think, good business to, for example, treat employees respectfully, get them involved in uh, improvement. Improving their safety you know, goes a long way to improving their satisfaction. And it's just, it's easier to engage people again to think about what, what are patients complaining about? What can we fix? What's difficult for you and your coworkers creating um, you know, a happier customers, better workplace? And so the numbers, Greg. So right now in, in, in the system from all of our customers of a, the just north of 8,000 improvements that are in the system, 3,400 of those improvements have been identified to have a safety component. So that's roughly 40% of all things. So we're talking about engagement. You're going to find that your employees are going to gravitate towards making the workplace better for themselves as well as for their customers. So when we see kind of customer loyalty, 
I mean, we know that increased customer loyalty is one of the primary drivers to increasing revenues at an organization, um, whether that's healthcare or non-healthcare. And, and employee retention, we were talking about employee retention you know, before in preparation. And Mark, tell us the, the way you heard articulated by a CEO on how he can put a dollar number on employee well, retention. There, that was yeah, there, there was one CEO that Joe Schwartz and I um, interviewed and included in our Healthcare Kaizen book where he said basically, the only ROI that I care about taking the time to add up from their Kaizen and continuous improvement approach was the benefits of reduced employee turnover because that's easy to measure. If you can cut your turnover from 20% to 10%, that makes a huge impact on the bottom line. Very directly, there's the cost of recruiting and hiring and training and bringing new employees up to speed. And there's all sorts of other indirect benefits. So he was looking at it just to, to say, well, I'm going to save money by having a more consistent, stable, great workforce that I'm investing in instead of people constantly churning through the organization. And, and that leads to uh, a lot of other benefits as well. One other thing I was going to say in terms of very hard direct benefits on patient satisfaction anymore in the U.S. is something called HCAPs, mm -hmm. where those patient satisfaction scores directly flow into bonuses that hospitals receive. Great. Okay. So then let's talk now about quality, because I think it's a little bit different than satisfaction. It's a little bit different than safety. How should people look at quality as a part of the ROI equation? Now, I, I know we're running out of time a little bit here, Jeff. So I'm, to me, when I think of quality, I think of a very simple definition. If you haven't figured it out, but I think this all this stuff should be simple, please remember that. So to me, quality is how does the product or service that you're doing meet the patient or customer's need? And the more you can align those, the higher your quality is going to be. So let's take a look at what people have done in the system. Over 3,400 improvements have been identified as a quality improvement. So once again, we're in that 40 50% range, and you know the exact way that articulates the dollars and cents. Well, I mean, let's be honest. If, everyone knows that if you don't have a high quality product or service, then you're not going to be around for long. So, you know, the idea is: Do you want just a few people in your organization thinking about how to improve quality, or do you want everyone in the organization to be thinking about how to improve quality? Great. Okay. Let's put it all together, and we're just going to look at it from a number standpoint. Okay. So, what is the data? In just tell us so what we'll, this yeah. means. So, we're we're combining all of the buckets that we've gone through, and right now in the system, we have just over eight thousand improvements, having an impact of about fifty-six million dollars across our organization. So, if we were going to just take a look at, you know, how can you articulate an easy number, and I'm going to use the the, the idea that, that Mark said, be conservative, but if you can get every person in your organization to engage in one improvement a year, and that number there would be about $7,000 to the bottom line. Now, if we're conservative, we could just say, you know, let's round down and say $5,000. So that's a really easy number that I think you can go to your C-level suite and say, you know, there's really good evidence that engaging every person that we engage in continuous improvement is going to have a about a $5,000 impact to the organization. So, you know, I mean, we always count, what could you do with $5,000? I mean, you can, 
maybe 10 uh, Apple Watches for every single person, but as a, more of a joke than anything. But um, think about that when you're when you're going to it, it kind of articulate that simple story. Right, now I'm gonna steal a little time from Q&A time because this question I think is relevant to what you're talking about. The numbers you're sharing, are they annual savings or are they from multiple organizations? If you could clarify yeah, that. They're, they're, um, we're combining annualized and one time in the story. So essentially we're being conservative here again because we're only counting at one time. So even if that improvement saved the organization $10,000 a year, the numbers you're looking at right here just show that $10,000 one time. Yeah, great. Okay, so we talked about the six buckets, but I'm guessing that there are some hidden places within an organization to look for ROI. So just talk quickly about where our our audience might find those hidden well, places. I, I think I, I'm biased. I think the, the hidden place to look for ideas that goes untapped is the idea of every employee getting involved in improvement. Too many organizations um, are really only looking for experts or the people leading projects. They're looking for outside ideas instead of getting everyone involved in improvement. I, I think that's it. I mean, you know, our, our mission at Kinexus, our mission with helping to bring the right technology to spread continuous improvement is um, is to the definition of continuous improvement is every person in an organization improving every day. That doesn't mean you start at that state. That means that's your end goal. For some organizations, that might take six months. For some organizations, that might take six years to get there. But you will be surprised at where the talent is and where the improvement is in your organization. So you can't limit your thought process to say, oh, well, we're only going to have drivers work on this. We're only going to have sales reps. We're only going to have nurses. You really need to be thinking about this. And I would challenge every organization that's including some people in that improvement work that their goal needs to be moving towards improving everybody. Okay, we've only got a couple of minutes. I want to hear your thoughts on one last topic. And everybody here is going to be challenged with taking an ROI conversation up the chain of command. Right? How do we communicate the ROI of continuous improvement to the C-suite? Uh, the one point I would make is that you help yourself by being conservative. Don't overreach. Don't Overclaim. Don't be like one of these uh, improvement programs that that has all of uh, these claimed savings that end up being viewed as funny money. You'll lose all credibility. You might lose support for your approach. So I think the one thing to be really careful about is erring on the side of being conservative and and not overstating the numbers. So I'm going to give I think four really important things that you need to specifically do with conservatism in mind. I think if you are heading up to a senior leader or to a C-level leader, you have to come with numbers in hands. And if you don't have those numbers in your organization already, which overwhelmingly people don't, use the numbers that we're giving you. We have a huge number of organizations that have been aggregated here and a huge amount of improvement. Go with those numbers in hand, and, art, and the second point is articulate them in a very simple way. I think the most simple way to break it down, you know, don't bury the lead here, is just go in and say, if we focus on spreading continuous improvement, it will result in $5,000 of impact 
to the organization. Once they understand that $5,000 per person to the organization, once they understand that, they may want to, to dive down further and then that's when you can start articulating the different buckets. But the other thing I find really important with this conversation is there's a lot of improvement work going on in almost everyone or any one of the organizations we start a conversation with. They're doing projects. They might be doing value stream mapping events. They might be doing Kaizen events. They might have some pockets that are doing idea boards and they want to spread those. What they're really struggling with is how do you articulate in a standard way the impact of all of the continuous improvement efforts? And so whatever your system, and this is something that we focus a lot on in the Kinexus platform, it needs to have clarity and visibility into the total impact and it's aggregating it from all these pockets. And then I think, I think probably the most important, and, and I'm saving for the last, maybe this is what you open up with, you need to figure out what your senior leaders have been talking about, right? What are the strategic goals of the organization? You know, continuous improvement is the most versatile and the sharpest weapon an organization has in their arsenal. It can be pointed at any strategic area that an organization is focusing on. So talking to senior leaders directly about things that they've articulated, hey, we need to work on X, Y, and Z in 2015. When you go and tell that story about how you know, right now you have a couple dozen people thinking about X, Y, and Z. Imagine a situation where you have every single person in the organization that has been, you know, brought around a problem and allowed to participate in that improvement effort. It can be really powerful. Great. Okay, so first, I want to thank you guys. Yep. That was awesome. Um, there have been a there have been a number of questions that have come up on the panel. And so in the time we have left, let's go through those because I think it'll help to uh, not only answer it for the people who asked, but to answer it for, for everyone on the line. And so um, one question says that we presented a lot of ROI that are specific to dollar amounts, right? To, to savings and revenue and things like that. Can, you, can we give them a little bit of background of how we got those numbers? Great question. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can take that question. In, in the platform, the basic work going on in Kinexus is an improvement. And that improvement might be an idea. It might be an A3. It might be an action item on a value stream mapping event. It might be a countermeasure. We don't necessarily identify what that has to be, but it's some sort of improvement unit of work. And when you complete that out, this is where I think technology, methodology, and leadership all start blending, where those things end and where one of the others begins. And we'll talk about this in the spread, where those start blending together. So we ask people when they're completing an, an improvement, an opportunity for improvement, to think about how did it impact the organization. So the first question is, did it result in a change or did it not result in a change? If it resulted in a change, it should fit into one of the buckets that we talked about. And so this is where the organization, where that person is putting in what they believe the impact of that organization was. And this is where, when we coach all of our customers to put thresholds in, whether that threshold is $100 or whether that threshold is $1,000, 
$500, $10,000 to get the finance department in to go verify that data. So we are aggregating information and numbers from our customers. We're not extrapolating any of those numbers. Great. And I would say just to follow on to that, you know, a, it, a fair percentage of the time, their finance groups are also auditing those numbers. Um, it's a fairly I, common. They're practice. auditing. They're validating. Yeah. They're adjusting. Okay. We don't have an organization um, that is just willy nilly letting people put in ten thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars. There's there's a process that when we're working in the implementation phase of onboarding Kinexus that we're helping an organization make sure they have some checks and balances while still keeping it simple. I mean, that's that's the key thing here. And this is where I think technology can really be used to, to leverage, um, you know, keeping a process really simple. Great. Okay, there seem to be a couple of questions that came in that all, all expressed a little bit of confusion around the $5,000 number. So is that a $5,000 per person, per idea, per year? You know, so this is, this is where I came up with that, where, where I'm kind of I'm pulling that from. If we have $56 million worth of impact, and we have about 8,000 improvements, if you simply take the number 56 million divided by 8,000, you get somewhere in the $7,000 range. If you then say, well, I think we can get every person in the organization to participate to, to author, to submit one improvement throughout the year. These are really conservative numbers. We have some organizations that are going up to four and five a year. Then that would roughly say that every improvement that is completed in the system is worth about $7,000. And I'm taking Mark's idea of being conservative. I'm saying, let's ratchet it back. Let's just say that there's an overestimation there. And let's, let's just articulate it at 5,000 to make a nice, easy number that can be articulated up because you know it's always better to over deliver than to over promise, right? And so and so it's much easier when you go in and you say, I think this is going to be a you know this is how it's going to affect the organization, and you come in and you beat those numbers a year out. Well, and, and I think to you know be conservative and understate numbers still allows you to claim huge huge successes. I don't, in, in healthcare, the opportunities are immense, uh, opportunities for improvement, not just uh, financially, but in other dimensions. So we, we shouldn't have to overreach to show a really impressive impact. And what I think is amazing, you know, as over the last couple of years, we've been getting more and more non-healthcare customers using our platform, reaching out to us and saying, we're not aware of a continuous improvement platform um, that exists today in the market. Can you please you know, make this available for non-healthcare organizations as well. And what we're finding is process problems exist everywhere. And improvement potential in an organization, I don't care what industry they're in, exists everywhere. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a really exciting time that we're getting to where we're starting to see this blend of kind of leadership behaviors, methodology behaviors, and technology kind of accelerating and exploding and spreading continuous improvement. Great. Really, really good stuff. Um, I will say, as I'm reading through the questions, that um, that we had an OI come in during the uh, presentation. There was a question about, do we have a histogram to help articulate the percentage of OIs 
oh, of the different sure. types, you know, of or, cost savings. Right. Of I think to look at the distribution of cost savings, is it a bell curve or what does that distribution look like? There's probably, it's probably, it's probably not, eh, I don't know if it would be a bell curve or an exponential curve of a lot of them having small financial impact and then a smaller number going out into the tail that have. I love the idea. Impact. I get it. Yeah. yeah. But we can run that data. Right. Yeah. So I think that's an opportunity for improvement for us. And, um, you know, hopefully we can communicate that with everybody uh, soon. So I, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, I, I want to especially thank Mark and Greg for spending their time to do this. I do want to let everyone know that there are a number of resources out there on Kinexus.com that I would I would very much recommend that you spend your time getting to know. Uh, we spend an immense amount of time trying to create content that we think will help continuous improvement to spread. And so I would call attention to the eBooks that we have on our website. I would call attention to the Kinexus blog. And then I would like to invite you to see our webinar library because we try to do these about once a month and we try to keep the information as fresh and as as new as possible. Uh, the next one specifically is going to be on the concept of continuous improvement spread. And so we're going to be looking at, you know, how does an organization get continuous improvement to spread from the process improvement team to the first department to the second department and to ultimately creating an army of improvement. And then I, what I think is, is so great, you know, I, I talk to our customers on a frequent basis, Jeff. So whether you're a, a mechanics customer and you're listening to this or whether um, you're just learning about continuous improvement in general, the amount of content that we're producing on the blog, in the eBooks, and the webinars, that's great to spark ideas in your organization. I can't tell you how many of our, of our improvement experts, our PI directors, say thank you, Greg, for you know, producing a blog post every day that and sometimes well, once a week I'll, I'll send that out to my team to get them thinking about something new because you know one of the things that we know is that one of the com big components of the leadership behavior is communicating on a frequent basis about continuous improvement and so you know you, it's you got to beat the drum but sometimes having different flavors and different messages while you're beating the drum keeps people listening so we just have a huge amount of content coming through a lot of the contents coming from our current customers as well so it's uh, it's become a lot of fun to know that they that they looked at that as a as a truly valuable resource to help them spread continuous improvement. Great, great. Well, with that, I'd, I'd really like to thank you two guys. Uh, very, very well done. I appreciate it very much. And I'd like to thank everyone out there who stayed with us. Um, have a have a wonderful day.